Well, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1 for the last time. And I'm going to start reading. It's on page uh, 594, of course, if you were uh, following in the Pew Bible. And I'm going to start reading from, well, I'm going to start reading from verse 16 so we can uh, have the flavour of what's gone by and then what we're looking at. And tonight we're going to be sort of breaking with tradition. And instead of uh, looking at every verse as we go down this passage of scripture, we're going to look at it as a whole. So we're going to, I'm going to speak for how many verses? 18 to 32 verses, which is 14 verses. Uh, we're going to cover 14 verses. It's an awful lot of negative stuff that is there. It's got to be aired, it's got to be touched, thought about, but um, we can... Uh, we know exactly what's what it's all about, and we can go on to chapter two, as in from next week. So I'm going to read it, and you know we're going to deal with it. So take a notice of everything that's being said in these verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creator rather the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy and murder, 
and strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I think it's true to say that Paul said it as it was uh, in that passage of scripture pulled no punches and I don't think there is an awful lot of need to make a commentary on it I think it all speaks uh, for itself now I read a a brilliant article on uh, this passage of scripture this week and I must confess that I use an awful lot of it uh, in what I'm going to say tonight uh, and it sort of followed its outline a lot so we'll have something decent tonight <laughs> now if you remember last week we started to look at this subject that uh, is called the wrath of God uh, a subject that sort of splits the camp a little we saw that although it is a thoroughly biblical doctrine and we can't escape from the fact that it is a biblical doctrine. We've just read uh, Paul's explanation of the doctrine. But although it is thoroughly biblical, and people, and even sincere Christian people, are reluctant to preach on the wrath of God, even if they actually believe it. Now there's an awful lot of people who have moved away from the thought of God being a God of wrath and have uh, completely sort of programmed it out of their minds and and therefore will not ever preach on it or talk about it or tell others about it but there are also as we saw last week those Christians that really believe it and yet are reluctant to preach it you know we saw that uh, they were convinced that such preaching will cause a barrier to people come in to faith. It will put them off having anything to do with us. You know, of course, history. If you read church history, you would see that that is just not the truth. It is when the full gospel is preached, people are drawn to God. No, John Wesley pulled no punches. George Whitfield pulled no punches. And um, I'm trying to think of the other guy. Jonathan Edwards pulled no punches as far as the wrath of God is concerned. And these are the men that saw people come into faith more than anyone else uh, in modern history. So history would nullify the argument. But nevertheless, this is an all too common problem in the faith and in uh, the community uh, of the faith. So we've got to ask the question why are people embarrassed or why are people repulsed by the notion of God's wrath? Why is it 
But even though this section that I read tonight, and you must be honest, if you took particular notice of what I read tonight, you will know and understand that this is a commentary on our nation. It's a commentary on the peoples of the world. No, you could read that and you could pick up the paper in the morning and you could see the modern equivalent of it on every page. And that's the truth. And that's what this passage of scripture is about. You know, and many Christians have frequently used this passage of scripture to actually portray what our nation is about. They would say this is the reason why this nation is so ill in its spirit and its soul. And yet at the same time, not talk about the wrath of God. You know, and it's the wrath of God that actually introduces us to this commentary on the state of our nation. It introduces the section that I just read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's how it starts. And yet we conveniently forget that bit. We put it to one side because it's not palatable. It's not convenient. It's not what people want to hear. And yet it introduces us to this amazing passage of scripture that is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. Why? Why? Why do we ignore what is so obviously put before us? You know, the answer, I think, is it's because we have such a wrong idea about the wrath or the anger of God we can't or we don't understand it because we judge it by our own anger and we know that there are many times in our experience personally when our anger is irrational and out of control and it comes from a, um, a thought or a seed that is within us that isn't righteous at all. You see, what we see in the scriptures that God's wrath is not anger out of control. Because I tell you this, such a God, such an angry God would bother me, would frighten me, would repulse me. To think that he sort of worked on the same type of anger that I work on would belittle him in my sight. And therefore we've got to look into the scriptures and see that God's wrath is never anger out of control. And there is no need to take every opportunity to dismiss the wrath of God. Because it's not exactly what we actually think that it is. No one scholar in trying to um, program out the personal wrath of God said that uh, God's wrath isn't his own personal reaction but it's a result of the moral universe 
that we belong to the moral universe what on earth is the moral universe there is no such thing you see all morality and righteousness comes from the Lord it comes from the Lord you know when all such attempts seem grounded in the idea that anger is inherently wrong and sinful and a lot of anger would really be wrong and sinful but it's not all wrong and sinful not even ours listen to what uh, Ephesians says be angry there's a strange verse defined in the scriptures be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath you see even with us our anger is not always irrational it's not always evil it isn't always stoked up by some sinful tendency within us sometimes even as Christians our anger is a righteous indignation of what goes on in the world now I, I tell you a story about a man um, David Shepherd who told us that he was going along the motorway on one occasion I told, perhaps I've told you the story once before or twice or ten times before but he was going along the motorway and he noticed that the fellas in front's wheel was hanging on so he beeped his horn and flashed his lights and got the fella to stop and um, they both pulled into the arch shoulder and David Shepherd got out and said your wheel's hanging off <laughs> and he said and the man of course straight away which is natural for people today use the Lord's name in vain uh, uh, as an expletive as a curse word or whatever you would call them and uh, said you know amazing and David Shepherd socked him went poof he said I've just saved your life he said and you have blasphemed the name of my saviour now I don't, don't think we should go down the road of socking people because they blaspheme you know we had a preacher here on uh, on Monday night uh, who was in a football match last Saturday and he told us that by half time he had to make a decision as to whether he should stay there and listen to people blaspheming around him or move away and go home you know, and this man, he, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think by the shape of him because he's built like this. But he loves his football and always played football. Right up until a couple of years ago. Uh, and he just left the place and said, I can't stand listening to that. And there's an anger that brews within you. It's a righteous indignation. You know, when you feel like giving someone uh, a clock because they've taken the name of the Lord uh, in vain. Be angry, it says and sin not you know and if you remember Christ remember him gentle Jesus meek and mild wouldn't hurt a fly wouldn't say boon or bar to anyone whatever happens you know it was all lovey-dovey when we listened to our preachers talking you know but there was a time when the Pharisees brought a man to him with a withered hand and they were doing it to test him because of course it was the Sabbath day and would this rabbi, would this teacher, this man who had come from God would he heal the man on the Sabbath and it was the test 
And this is what Jesus, or this is what the scripture says. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand with anger and being grieved you know what feelings should such, such callousness from these Pharisees evoke in our Lord was he going to tap them on the shoulder was he going to say it's okay was he going to walk away and be everyone's friend no it was with anger no and what did he do in his anger he didn't sock him he healed the man he healed the man not to satisfy their desire to snare him. He healed the man. That was how his wrath and his anger was outworked in the situation that he found himself. What feeling do you think he should have used? How should he re- have reacted? The, you know what? We know that the Lord acted perfectly. And it was with anger. Then of course, if you remember uh, a more sort of uh, familiar story or when Jesus entered into the temple you know both in chapter 2 of John and later on uh, in the in the other gospels uh, he entered into the temple and he saw something that really sickened him and went to the heart to the pit of his stomach because he saw what the temple which should have been the presence of God the place where God's honor dwelt And yet they had made it a den of thieves, a place of iniquity, a place of money changing. And this is what it says. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changer's money and overturned the tables. And he said uh, to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal. I wonder where zeal has gone today. I wonder where it went. I wonder when it went. When did this zeal for the house of God, zeal for the name of God, zeal for the reputation of God, when did that go? Where is it? Why isn't it among us? You see, to see sin ruining lives, both now and for eternity, and be not angry, angry at the devil, for what he, for how he has led this uh, human race astray, angry at the foolish people who allow themselves to be taken in, who love to walk in the dark and to keep other people in the dark. To, to have all that in front of you and be not angry is unthinkable surely you know righteousness loves the light and hates the darkness that's what Jesus says uh, in John chapter 3 and verse 20 and thus every expression of darkness as far as Christ is concerned is met with righteous indignation or anger you know, and um, of course I've said already, there is an enormous amount uh, of difference between our anger sometimes and this divine wrath 
You know, and I, I can I can tell you a, a story, and I, I can say I've told you again before about the time when I was in the Chinese down there in Pandi. Just come from the house of the Lord we had. It was a night that they opened Bethany, so that's how far uh, away it was. It was I would say somewhere like 1984, 30 odd years ago. And I stood in the Chinese waiting for my order with my two boys. And then came these boys. And it wasn't every other word was a blasphemous word. It was every word. For some reason or other, they came in and they used no other words except the words Jesus Christ. And I stood there, or I sat there on the settee that was there then. And I could feel the anger, the indignation that was rising within me listening to these boys just making so much fun and mockery and scorn at the one that we had just been sitting in worship and in the presence of do you know what it just made me get up and tell them about the person that they were talking about my two boys scarpered one went to look at the bikes and one went to his mother over the chip shop because one was one of us was having fish and chips one of us was having a Chinese I'm off to see the bike start. But then people, they just so angered me. And I believe that that's the type of anger that we're looking at in, the, um, in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Every expression of darkness must be met with righteous indignation. No, we are living in a time when child abuse is widely and widely reported you know and it's important that our heavenly father not be betrayed be portrayed as some sort of raging tyrant mindlessly widely hurting his children you see this portrait of God is painted when people decide that God's wrath is like man's wrath God gets angry like we get angry. That's how our human minds think. Only his anger, of course, is bigger and more powerful. But in reality, most human anger is not righteous. But his always is. Always is. Uh, James says, so then, my beloved, but every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But we see different in this scripture. Because no sooner has the righteousness of God been revealed to us in verse 18, 17, as the wrath of God has been revealed to us in verse 18. And if you remember last week, I said, I see no difference in them, the both of them. Our anger, where does it come from? Well, I would say that uh, we get angry because our egos have been slighted. We get angry because we didn't get our way. Because something cut across what we wanted. And what we wanted to do. And what we, where we wanted to go. You know when we blow our top. We go off our rocker because something hasn't suited us. You know human anger usually expresses itself in ways that hurt others. Because we lash out. You know many a film. You know, we can see that the revenge sort of uh, tactic that people pick up. You know, they've been seeking revenge all their lives. 
something has happened in the past and they, that's how most things are now something has happened in the past and uh, I'm going to get my revenge that's how we express our anger but you see God's anger doesn't resemble that whatsoever God is not angry because his gigantic ego hasn't been gratified he hasn't got an ego to get gratified God is not angry because he doesn't get his own way you know his righteous anger is directed at evil and all sorts of evil all sorts of darkness you know here we can see that it's revealed against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness you know then I think his anger could be uh, addressed to those senseless people men and women who send themselves to hell because they will not heed his word this is the anger that God has this is the, the wrath that comes because of what he sees you know, you know and I suppose that like no other God can see the potential in us all you know, in every human being there is a potential worshipper. Someone that he can bless abundantly. Someone he can offer a place that he's gone to prepare. Someone that he can give freedom to. And grace to. And love. Someone that he can fill and infuse with the joy of the Lord. The, and the understanding of being wanted and accepted in the Beloved. Can you imagine the anger... When something stops that flow of God's blessing into that person's life. So that eternity sort of will indwell that person. And they turn their back. And then there's this uh, devil. And then there's this man who leads astray. You know, and there we can see how the anger of God uh, is uh, brought about in such circumstances. No, and um, I would say that the the wrath of God is not incompatible with the preaching of the gospel. That's what we've been talking about this last two weeks. That uh, people think that it shouldn't be a part of the gospel message. But in this context, in this context, it's interesting that Paul should bring up God's wrath right now. You know, I mean, when you think about it, we've spent... I just told you at the beginning that we're going to do all this in one week. Why? Because an awful lot of it is, is bitter. Now, I don't want to be talking about idolatry and sexual immorality. I don't want to be spending my uh, Thursday nights uh, sort of going into the nitty-gritty of what is taking place here. But can you remember when we did 116? When we did 116, we spent about six weeks on that one verse alone because it's the prize of Romans chapter 1 it is the high point of Romans chapter 1 because it talks of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and it says that the good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. What a wonderful, glorious place to be in. 
When we were here looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we dwelt all the time with this powerful God, bringing a powerful message of reconciliation and redemption and joy and peace and love. And then all of a sudden, immediately, He brings us to this dark place. This dark and this dark place coincide with this glorious place that we've been used to these last few weeks. You want the answer? It's so simple. Paul does not see the wrath of God as being incompatible with the gospel message. You know, many people would uh, wish that we could separate them. The power of God's love. Let's forget about the wrath. The cross. Let's forget about hell. Grace. Let's forget about judgment. Love. Let's forget about the wrath. You want it to be so easy to do that. And that's why it's being done all the time. But Paul in this part of the scripture shows us that it cannot be done. Because yes, the gospel is good news. But let me tell you this. It is only good news for those who receive it. It is not good news for people who reject it. It's good news for me. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because I needed Jesus to do something for me. To clothe me with his righteousness. Otherwise I would be lost for eternity. So when I heard the gospel that, mo- that afternoon. It was good news for me. But how many people have heard that same gospel. <coughs> and rejected it. And let me tell you, it's not good news for them. We have to be realistic and know that we are here to be realistic. Otherwise we'll be of no value or no use to God at all. For those that <coughs> disregard its saving power, the gospel reveals the wrath and judgment of God directed towards all sin you know if people are not made aware of that then I would say it's our fault it's our responsibility the onus is upon us but if you accept the gospel if you receive the gospel then it's good news for you what did Paul say in Corinthians he said it's the savour of life unto life but if you reject it it's the savour of death unto death. Therefore the gospel contains both the righteousness of God revealed, the joy of the Lord revealed, the reconciliation revealed, the redemption revealed, the price paid, the good news. But it also talks of what it has brought us from. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, the separation that comes through rejecting it. But the gospel, gospel also uh, reveals sinful attitudes and behaviours. You know, Paul will go on to list these things. And I read them from verse 20, 21 on, onwards. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. And that's what I've read. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a list of sins and sinfulness and behaviors that you and I wouldn't want to go into. You know, it's quite interesting that in our day, uh, what we would call fire and brimstone preaching, fire and brimstone preaching is considered dreadfully old-fashioned, out of date. We don't want any of that fire and brimstone preaching. You know, the Puritans, they were renowned for sermons that suspended their congregations over the, the fires of hell. And um, today, we've gone to the, ex the other extreme, and we wouldn't mention eternal condemnation at all. It's a strange situation that we're in. You know, I know that uh, the Puritans have been, uh, been guilty of overemphasizing it and almost trying to frighten people. Uh, and yet our reaction is to never to speak of God's righteousness and never to speak of the day of judgment or the plain truth that not everyone will go to heaven. Not everyone will go to heaven. That would be a revelation for an awful lot of people, including Christians. But not everyone will go to heaven. No one, do you know who was the most explicit in his description of hell? It was Jesus. He was the one who spoke about it more than anyone else. You know, when I say that talking of such things is a frightful thing, thinking about things will sort of rise the, the hairs on the back of your neck and, and so they should, they ought to because God's wrath is not to be trifled with people will account for their deeds one day and some people and I would say many people will be lost will be lost and it would be awful if some would come and point to me and say you should have told me you should have warned me. You should have said something about this wrath that is to come. You should have said something. Jesus did. He warned the people that separation was coming, talked about the, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the nations who did and the nations who didn't. Talked about the rich man and Lazarus. So many so many times Jesus brought up this subject that is so taboo in our day uh, tonight God's wrath not to be trifled with people have to make an account for what they've done you know something is going to happen to everyone and we need to carefully contemplate the two possible choices in order that we make the right choice first, of course, and then encourage others to make the right choice. 
Let our pulpits, let our Bible classes, let our Bible colleges, let our private meditations be full of thoughts of heaven and joy and peace and all the wonderful things. But we need to be balanced. We need to be balanced. You know, we, I don't know, I can't remember dealing with it in Hebrews. But listen to this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the balance. That's the balance. For God so loved the world. Brilliant. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But to go on quickly, I mentioned last week that uh, God's wrath is currently being expressed in this world. Usually when we talk about this judgment of God, we, our thoughts go to the day of judgment, the final judgment, when God will separate the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, or I never knew you. You know, and it's, uh, it is going to be an amazing day. And yet, this is not what Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture so much. Verse 18 clearly states that God's wrath is, 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 present tense, is revealed. Not God's wrath will be revealed, but is revealed. What does that tell us? How is God's wrath being expressed today, even now, as we speak? And the answer is given in the phrase that is mentioned here three times. Most uh, sermons on Romans chapter 1 will include these three things. God gave them up. God gave them over. It's mentioned three times. We're told that God gave them up to uncleanness in verse 24. In verse 26, he gave them up to vile passions. And in verse 28, he gave them up to a debased or a depraved mind. And here we can see the judgment of God today. God gave them up. The expression gave them over or gave them up is a technical term that refers to what one did with convicted criminals. He or she was given over to be incarcerated in jail or to be punished in the way that they deserved. It was a handing over from the judiciary to the, the penal. Do you like if I got them words right? To have to suffer the penalty. You know, God's wrath today is expressed by his decision to give them up. You know, many years ago, when uh, AIDS first rocked this globe I was asked the question is AIDS the judgment of God upon homosexuality you know and um, I had to say no I don't think it was I said homosexuality is God's judgment in and of itself and I get that from this chapter AIDS wasn't the judgment of God in homosexuality. Homosexuality is the judgment of God on society. Now we can see um, from the text the mere slackening of God's reign 
in someone's life will invariably lead that person to a debased lifestyle. No further examination of the test of the text shows this to be true. The crime these are guilty of basically is rejecting the knowledge of God. That's what it says in verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful in their hearts, but became futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. You know, and the punishment is God giving them over to do what they wish to do. And here is a strange thing. And here is something that every parent knows. We don't need the Bible at this point. We just need to be parents. And I'm looking round, and we're all one. Every one of us are parents. And we know exactly what it means for God to give them up. And to allow people, and in our case children, to do what they want to. You know when people turn away from God, He won't force them to come back and serve Him. Although He could. He could have forced people to serve Him. But that's not what He wanted to do. What He does is releases people to do what they want. God gives them over to the evil desires of their hearts. To do things that are not that not even animals would do and which only debase humanity. To minds so infected with sin that they will rationalize every kind of iniquity. In some ways, it, this may seem like a punishment that anyone would enjoy. Most children would love to hear the words from their parents. Since you were naughty, I'm going to allow you to do whatever you want. Since you were naughty, I'm going to allow you to do whatever you want. <coughs> but you know, and I know as parents, what the result would be. You see, the result of such puni punishment, would it teach the child self-control? Would it teach the child discipline? Would it teach the child endurance? Things that are so necessary to be productive and to live a useful life? Would it build character and ultimate society? Or would the child ultimately end up a mess of uncivilized passions completely dominated by selfishness? In other words, we use the phrase, that child is spoiled. That child is spoiled. You know, I can think of um, sort of uh, present day families who are ruled by nine year old children because they are completely spoiled and their whole life revolves around this little person who has everything she wants, does everything she wants, goes everywhere she wants and mother, father, grandmother, grandfather are at their wits end because a nine year old girl has taken over completely. Why? Well because she was given this wonderful punishment of having everything that she wanted, when she wanted, 
how she wanted and how much she wanted. And we can see the selfishness. You know, and, um, when I go back to my grammar school days, and me and Janice was in Port County Grammar School, as you know, um, I did a book called The Lord of the Flies. And um, I suppose that if my memory serves me correctly, this message could plainly be seen there. It starts off with a group of civilized boys who had been marooned on a desert island on their own, with no parents, with no rules, with nothing but an opportunity to please themselves, whatever they wanted to do. And you see them slowly or quickly, really, regressing to savagery, to paganism within just months. You know, being able to do and be what they like. You know, and it's interesting to see our own nation. You know, David said in his prayer that it would be lovely to see the churches that once were built yearly, but now have gone. Do you know there is only two churches meeting in Astrid at the minute? Two churches, us. And Providence. The church, I think, is closed for a while because of eating problems. Two churches in Estrid. You know, if, I suppose if, if I was to go and talk to Gladys and try to count how many churches there were in Estrid when she was a little girl, it, you can see the, the, the scope of what this nation has done to God. It has dumped him. Dumped him big time. But what has happened in the meantime? In Britain. Britain has become a, a cesspit of idolatry, paganism, superstition, fear, and immorality. That's what this world is now. Why? Because not only has Astra dumped God, but the world has dumped him as well. And we are seeing atrocities every day, every moment of the day, that you would never ever have dreamed of. When we were growing up. So this listing of sins. That we have here. In Romans chapter 1. Brings us to the conclusion. That we find in, the, in verse 32. Who knowing. The righteous judgment of God. That those who practice such things. Are deserving of death. Not only do the same. But also approve. You know I've seen. Parents who are fueled by alcohol, gripped by it, thrilled to bits, to see their children come in the same way. Not only are they doing it, but they are approving of those who practice it. Your man decides that he does not want to know about God or serve Him. So what will God do? God allows men and women to do what they please to push God far away from their thoughts and live exactly what they want to do and the end result is that humanity is in a sorry state miserable beyond words totally trapped in its own evil deeds surely, surely that's an awful situation you know, we could think about God and think, oh, and he could express his wrath in different ways. You know, he, when people go wrong, he could 
shoot a, a flame of fire and, and fry them on the spot. But you know, even in the wrath of God, there is grace. There is grace. You know Pauline's favourite words, verse in the scriptures, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of all that wrath and anger and the flood, there was a hint, a glimmer of hope, grace. And you know that even in this giving it over, you know, if God fried you on the spot, then you will never have an opportunity to repent. You will never have an opportunity to see the error of your ways. Call upon him and thrust yourself on his mercy. That's why God does these things. That's why he does these things. Because he wants to bring people to repentance. He is such a gracious God. And his grace has no bounds. You know, if they think of the prodigal son, his father. You know, I, I would say that his father had a stream of information coming from his back from his son. You know, he was so well known, so rich in that community, so well known that he would have had little people dotted about. Your son's having a real good time doing this, and you're spending your money doing that. And you know, this the father just listened to what was going on in the far country. And then the news. Your son is supping with the pigs. Now what should he do? Should he rush and get him out of there? Or should he leave him there until he learns the misery of sin? And that's what happened. He left him there, supping with the pigs. And he learned the futility, the misery, the hunger that sin brought to him. And what did he do? The Bible says he came to his senses. And he says, my father has servants who are bred in despair. And here I am, not even being satisfied with the pigs. I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against you and against God. And I'm more worthy to be called your son. I'll be one of your hired servants. What had happened to him? His father... I'd give him over. I'd let him go. You see, he could have stopped him. But he didn't. He let him go. And he went off. And found his own way in life. And he had everything he wanted when he wanted it. And how much of it he wanted. Until he ended up where everyone ends up. In the pigsty. And when he found himself in the pigsty, he thought, what an idiot I am. When I've got a bed and a table at home that's calling my name and that's what God wants from this world that's why this world is in such a state as it is today because God has given us over to do what we want to do in order that we may find the futility of it and the misery of it and the agony of it so that we will once again come to our senses and turn to him you see, the horrors of sin are there to be seen. And people are in despair, even today, with the horrors of sin. The only thing that's lacking is that they are not turning to the right one to find satisfaction. 
That's what God wants. He wants us, the horrors of sin to come so hard upon people that they will turn to God. See their sad condition and repent. You will understand in this we realize that God's giving people up to such a life is an expression of His wrath. Of course it is. But it shows His grace as well. It shows the ongoing concern and the love that He has for the souls. You know, I said in the bulletin on Sunday when I talked of um, the hatred that is in this country for God and for godly people. But it's still the world that God loves so much. See, that verse wasn't just a, a, a one-off act of sending His Son. God still loves this world as much as He loved it then. He loves it now. And everyone in it is the object of His love. Even though they are under His wrath until they come to their senses. You know, and only when we believe in God's wrath and judgment can we see that men and women are presently experiencing the wrath of God in their lifestyle. And God is allowing them to live like that in order to bring them back to himself. It's only when we trust God's merciful love can we see that he is trying to bring people to repentance by causing them to know the vanity of sin. God's wrath is not a pleasant topic of discussion. And that's why I'm glad to get off this passage of scripture. And that's why we've looked at it in bulk tonight. And perhaps it's been a little bit too, uh, too much content in it. It's not a pleasant topic. It's frightening. And yet it ought to be frightening. To contemplate being on the end or the receiving end of such wrath is frightening. But we've got to think about it. But th us thinking about it isn't the issue. God's wrath is a part of his character. And we do well to understand it. And live righteously because of it. You know the, ro the words of Romans 1.18 are there. It in black and white. I can't do a thing about it. Paul has written it. And that word will never fail. God's wrath is revealed. But that isn't the issue. The issue is, or the question is, will our manner of life cause us to receive it or escape it? That's the thing. Will our manner of life as Christians cause others to receive it or escape it? That is important as well. It's there whether we like it or not. It's how we handle it. It's how we understand it. It's how we present it. That is the big thing. And I pray that you and I would wait on God. Trust Him. Ask Him for power and authority. For a, for a, a, a vitality to go and preach the true gospel to people. So that they will have an informed gospel. Not a one-sided gospel. But an informed gospel. That they may make their choices. That they may come to him in repentance. See the futility and wickedness of their way. And turn to him.
for his righteousness and his grace and his salvation and his redemption. The wrath of God 